Hello, welcome to the Richard Herring podcast feed powered by ACAST Plus. Thanks so much for listening to these. Do tell your friends if you enjoy them. The Can I Have My Ball Back Tour is back on the road this week. We're in London on the 7th in the Bloomsbury Theatre and Leicester Square Theatre on the 9th. I've got quite a lot of tickets to sell for both of those, so if you're in London, please come along. Then the 13th in Cambridge, few tickets left for that one. Uh, Leicester on the 14th, Leeds on the 15th. Uh, Salford on the 16th, Newcastle on the 17th, which is sold out on the website, but I think there might be a few more tickets to release. Uh, So do come along if you want to see me talk about my balls and one of them not being here anymore. It's a very funny show. Four star reviews in the Telegraph and the Standard. Um, Anyway, look, let's sit back, relax and enjoy another fantastic podcast from Richard Herring, the genius podcaster. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, my fine friends. Welcome to another edition of Rahalastaba this week with the, the co creator of Father Ted and Toast of London, and much, much more, Arthur Matthews. Um, we have two copies of his book, not 20 like we did last week. All the Nels Gavell ones have gone. Uh, we will be giving those. One will go to the monthly Badger Prize winner. So if you want to become, want a chance of winning that in the end of month draw, go to gofasterstripe.com slash badges, sign up three pounds a month. All of November's money is going to November. Uh, and, um... All the rest of the money from other months, if you carry on subscribing, will go to making more podcasts and more exciting stuff. Um, So uh, you get lots of other stuff, including loads of behind the scenes videos, a badge, membership pack, lots of things and a chance to win that book. Plus, we'll draw one other name out of there of all the monthly badges to give the the other copy to. And we will do that. At the end of November. So you still have a few days to join up if you want a chance to win those fantastic prizes. Um, If you win the monthly badge competition, which is every single month, and you'll be in every single draw, then uh, you win a big box of merchandise and all sorts of stuff. So um, it's well worth winning. Uh, Plus, you get money to give to us to make more podcasts. If you would like to buy my book, The Problem With Men, do so as I speak. And I hope as you're listening to this... Um, the Kindle version of that book is down to 99p. That seems like a bargain to me. I think the audiobook is the best way to get this. Go get that from Apple Books or um, wherever, you, or, or Audible or wherever you get your uh, audiobooks. There's also hard cop- uh, hardback copies of the books. Remember, you can still get that from gofasterstripe.com and you'll get a lovely p- book plate with my autograph and a penis drawn on them. That one I'm holding up is one of the ones that did not pass the quality test. Uh, But that gives you an idea of what it will be. There's penises all in the borders as well. It's amazing. 
So, let's sit back, let's relax, let's enjoy Rahala Stapa. Oh, and do tune in to Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun. We're putting sketches in now as well, it's getting very exciting. Relax and listen to Rahala Stapa, or watch it, Rahala Stapa, with Arthur Matthews. Hello! Welcome a man who's been drawing cocks on pieces of paper. You can get my book at GoFasterStrike.com and get that to stick in the front. That's my autograph and a penis. Oh, what a light. What a 53-year-old man I am. Welcome to Richard Herring's Landscaping Seasons Total Podcast. Come on, that's not bad. And look where I am. Can you take the Rahala stuff? Oh, very good, Chris. Look at that. I'm here. It had to be done. I'm uh, at the um, Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Landscaping Seasons Total, it almost works. I was talking to some... uh, uh, to, I was getting some hydro seeding at Four Seasons Total Landscaping and uh, the bloke serving me the hydro seeding, which I looked up on their website and is a thing. He says he calls it Rahala stuff. So I don't know if that's going to catch on. So uh, what's been going on this week? Uh, the moustache is growing. Uh, go to rahalastapa.co.uk slash Movember if you are enjoying uh, all this stuff and would like to make a donation to charity. That will go to Movember. Um, also any twitch subscriptions or badge money this month will go to movember it's dropped off a lot the twitch subscriptions so i hope you're giving them to someone if you're not giving them to us if you've got amazon prime you can give us money for free please do that and that money will go to charity um i was um playing with my son at bedtime the other day uh we were playing star wars he's into star wars we use um put the picture up chris good that the, the buttons don't aren't working today uh, and um, he has a, like a swimming noodle. This is what it's like. In the old day, we used to have armbands. They've got noodles now, big kind of uh, polystyrene things that you bash against each other. Not good for me because I don't like polystyrene. But we were playing Star Wars, and he said, I'm Darth Vader. He's 28 years old. He isn't. He's three years old. Uh, and um, and I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm Luke Skywalker. Felt a bit weird because, you know, the generations were reversed. But then I thought he might remember the bits so we were fighting. And I said, you killed my father. And he didn't say anything. And so I said, what do you say? And he went, sorry. Which I think would be a much better. I think they should remake the film. <laughs> and have Darth going, you killed my father. Sorry. Sorry I did that. It was bad of me. I think that would be a better film. It's no good. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. Uh, Darth Vader's his dad, turns out. Um, so I've been back on the TV a lot again this week. Uh, Taskmaster, of course, unfairly penalised as usual. Uh, and uh, very Taskmaster, very crucial team task where we fought against each other. It was a 10-point task because Daisy got five points. If I'd got five points, she's now about seven or eight points ahead. I'd be two or three points ahead if it had gone the other way. Could prove crucial. If we get to the end, stop the count. Just I've whatever the results, I've won. That's what I'm saying. Um, you can't trust the marking. Uh, I was on Sunday brunch this week. Next picture. Chris, next picture. Oh, no, it wasn't the next picture. I was on... Leave it. I'll do this one first. I was on House of Games this week. I asked a question on House of Games, which I enjoyed. I'm obsessed with the historical figure Rasputin, who has been cruelly misrepresented in popular song. He never made love with the Tsarina. He was probably not even in the top ten of Russian-based love machines. And he was a human, not a cat. It was a bit of a shame how he carried on, though, so Boney M got something right. He was supposedly very hard to kill, but in which city did he finally make his end? Um, I quite enjoyed doing that question for House of Games. I was on, uh, look at the, press the next button. I was on Sunday brunch. There it is. Uh, that's me on Sunday brunch. Oh, there's another one of me on Sunday brunch as well. Is there one um, 
Ah, is there another picture there, Chris? Or is it just go try the try the pic try the one underneath it? Okay. Hi, Chris. No, it's not on there. Um, I've, I've spent a great long time putting up pictures. Go back to that one. It's fine. I was on Sunday brunch where I... Um, great show. I, I had this moustache. You can sort of see it there. I look like a, like my own dad. And they never explained why I had a moustache. So it just they just all obviously thought I was... I took Tim Lovejoy. I gave him a cursed stone from the, the stone field. So hopefully that will finish him off. And I had a biscuit war with Shirley Ballas from Strictly Come Dancing... We we strongly disagreed about biscuits. That is what that's how my week's been going. She thought ginger nuts are the worst biscuit, and I think they're the best. And I'm correct. So uh, that's the end of that. Uh, anyway, uh, coming up as well on TV in the next couple of months. I'm on Tipping Point at the end of the month, I think. And I'm on the Chase, I think, on Christmas Day. That's your Christmas Day entertainment. They can't keep me off the telly. I just want to be not on the telly. That's all. That's all I want. Look, if you're enjoying these things, please do give to Movember, rahalastapa.co.uk slash Movember. Not if you've given loads of money before or anything before, but there's tens of thousands out there of you out there who've never given a solitary bean. Why not give some money to Movember, which is a fantastic charity? I'm going to look increasingly stupid. A, this has taken me 10 days, 11 days to grow this pathetic moustache. And it's not going to be anything by the end of the month. Uh, do check out other stuff on Twitch, Richard R.K. Herring, uh, twitch.tv. Stash RK Herring. Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun on Thursdays. Got to be seen to be believed. All right, let's crack on. Uh, my guest this week is probably best known for being the drummer in the Joshua Trio. That's why we're all here tonight watching this. Will you please welcome the amazing Arthur Matthews, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. Yes. By magic, he is here. Hello. Hello there. Oh, my Hi. Goodness. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, not bad, actually. Not, not too bad. Having fun. Is that your bedroom? No, it's it's a kind of spare bedroom. Okay, that's nice. That um, that's an office, and yeah, it's 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 used a bit, but okay. not all the time. Yeah, it's an it's an attic. It's in the attic. I'm in the attic as well, but you. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not. I'm at the Four Seasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a, I nearly gave it away. Uh, I think they were fooled. Uh, tell us about your time drumming in the Joshua Trio. Joshua Trio. Well, I was in a magazine. I worked in a magazine in Dublin called Hot Press doing layout as a graphic designer. And uh, someone called Paul Woodfull joined. And we we both used to, when we were laying out the magazine, we used to sing a lot of U2 songs right. but in, a, in a kind of jazzy kind of way or a country way. Right. So we said, let's, let's form a band. <laughs> so we got together, the Joshua Tree. I was the drummer. Paul was the Bono Jesus figure. It, it, it was Bono, but dressed as kind of Jesus okay. in a white robe and very long hair. And Paul's brother was the bass player. Sweet. We used to play pubs. But we, the best thing we did was we once got a donkey into a pub because <laughs> Paul in the Bono Jesus figure just got on the donkey and we brought him in through the health and safety nowadays. You wouldn't, wouldn't be, allow it. But uh, so we, we brought it in through the side and onto the stage of this pub called the Bag It In in Dublin. So that was the highlight of it. We used to play, play off. We did a, a parade, a St. Patrick's Day parade or something in Cork okay. on the back of a trailer. And we, we came across some of the Irish army, a battalion of the Irish army or something. And Paul, as Bono said, throw down your weapons. <laughs> So um, we did a few TV shows as well. They did okay. Rapido. I left. 
Okay. And they did, remember Rapido? They I did do. that in, in yeah. Britain, London. Yeah, yeah, we did. So we did a few TV things. And we, we uh, there was a, a bit about us in Rolling Stone as well. Blimey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's full so on. Was... And this was before the script writing happened. Right? Yeah, well, I I, um, I was there in Hot Press and I met Paul and Graham Linham came in. He was discovered by one of the other writers and he started doing film reviews. Um, I got to know Graham. We did a few comedy sketches, me and Paul and Graham. And then Graham went off to London and then he said, do you want to come to London and write some sketches? So I went I went over to London. We wrote for Smith and Jones, 1991. Yeah. And you were around then. We the were time. just around then, yeah. Well, I remember yeah. meeting you guys, I think the first time I met you, I think I might have met Graham before, but I might be wrong. We went, you and, and him and I and Stu and Paulie McGlynn met, went to a pub and had a drink. And I didn't know, I was a big fan of Father Ted, and I didn't know who this Paul was. And I think about two hours into the conversation, you explained that she yeah. was Mrs. Doyle from Father she, Ted. And she didn't look like Mrs. Doyle in real life, though. But I, I think you yeah. assumed that I would have known that. So I think I was <laughs> a bit of a pillar. Pauline, oh. yeah. I once, I once met, um, I was in Dublin Airport in the hospitality lounge where they used to give free wine out. They yeah. don't do that anymore. But Jonathan Miller was in the hospitality lounge. Right. And I thought, wow, Jonathan Miller, wow. So I, I must introduce myself to him. So he left, but he left. I didn't see him in the lounge. He left with all the hundreds of books, like, you know, all those medical books and all the books he wrote. Yeah. The, all those, you know, classic Jonathan Miller. But uh, when we arrived in Heathrow, I said, I'd go up, I'd introduce myself to him because Pauline was in a play that he directed. Okay. So that was why, so I was in the lift alone with Jonathan Miller. Yeah. And I said, I, you know, I said, um, I hope you don't mind, but big fan of yours. I think, you know, it, blank. No, it, he didn't <laughs> react at all. It was, Excuse me. Um, I know someone who I think you directed in a play, still blank. Uh, Pauline McGlynn. Absolute complete blank still. <laughs> and then I made a terrible mistake. I said, because I'm one of the writers, she's in a show called Father Ted and I'm one of the writers. And then the doors opened of the lift and he said, I'm sorry, I don't watch television. And then just kind of waltzed <laughs> off. Oh, no. Well, you've already answered an emergency question without me asking, which is who's the most famous person you've been in a lift with. So thank you very much. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very good. Oh, no, it's ter- Well, I actually bumped. Was it Dublin Airport? I bumped. Into, that's the last time I saw you. I bumped. No, into, it was Luton Airport. Luton Airport, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was on the way. I think I'd come back from gigs in either Belfast or Dublin. I can't remember where, I, where I'd been. I haven't. Yeah, really we, been were, we were. Yeah, we were flying back to yeah. Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was yeah. just coming back from Dublin, I think. Yeah, we it's the only time I've been in Luton Airport. That's the nearest airport to you. I it is. That's, that's one near my house. So that was it's very convenient for me. Yeah. Um, this is, I, I, it's quite an amusing story about um, my uncle, who was a priest, uh, Uncle Tom. And uh, these, a lot of the Father Ted things are kind of based on him. But he, uh, he had an idea once. He used to come over to Dublin, to Ireland every few years to say my mother's anniversary mass, like on the anniversary of her death. Okay. And he used to say it in my uncle's, another uncle's house, but, but he couldn't do it one year. So he said to us, me and my sister, this year, I tell you what, I'll meet you in the airport and we say the mass. I'm hiring a car to go down to Wexford. So we can say the mass in the car. <laughs> <laughs> so we met him in the hire place with the cars in Dublin airport. Myself and my sister got in the back of the car and he said mass. He was in the, at the steering wheel and he said mass. And he'd all the stuff in the back. 
It's like all the wine and hosts and all that. Right. And we were looking at him in the mirror. And uh, he just said, you know, he did a little ceremony about my mother. And so it was a very short mass, 15 minutes. But, you know, it's um, when you, where do you get your ideas from, Father <laughs> Ted? And it's just exactly that kind of thing. <laughs> my uncle, my uncle was great for that kind what of thing. What would Jesus make? If only he'd known Jesus would know that one day that would happen, that people would be driving around doing mass in a car exactly, for him. Yeah. How, how would he? Be well, he wasn't, he wasn't driving around. It was, it was a stationary car. Okay, it, would have right. been, it would have been better, obviously, <laughs> if, we, if we were on the move. <laughs> That would have been excellent, but it was just it was there. It was in the car, and then we saw all these air hostesses and captains passing by. Oh wow! So yeah. you did. You were, your upbringing was obviously fairly religious. We had a lot of uh, yeah. Catholicism yeah. and Catholic uh, fathers. Yeah, two of my uncles. Yeah. Two of my uncles. Yeah, Uncle Tom was the youngest, right? And he'd gone off to Birmingham, so he was quite liberal. But Uncle Paddy, <laughs> he was the oldest of my mother's family. He was he was very conservative. But I had a brilliant experience with him as well because once I was alone at home with my mother and sister in the kitchen cooking him something to eat. And I was just found myself alone in the living room and on television was uh, Prince live in concert. <laughs> just, the, just the two of us. And we didn't say anything. And he just, he just, at one stage, he just looked at Prince and said to me, what the hell would be going on in his mind? So I, I don't know. I don't know, Uncle Paddy. Yeah, probably Prince was equally confused by if he'd seen Uncle Paddy, he would have been as equally. Yeah, confused. that's the thing. Yeah, I th- well, I think they were. They wouldn't have much in common, really. <laughs> so, at what point? I'm, I, I'm presuming you aren't still heavily religious. I may be. No, I'm not. Stepping no. there. At what point did? No, you, not, no. At what point did you? Were you were you religious as a child, or did you? Did, yeah. 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 Well, everybody was. I mean, yeah. There was there was no uh, there were no um, non-religious people no non-Catholics in Ireland. Right. There was a, there was someone called Michael O'Riordan who was chairman of the Irish Communist Party in Cork, and when he people knew he was a communist, and when he walked down the street, people would cross the road and bless themselves with right. the song. Yeah. So there were about three non-religious people in Ireland at the time. Right. Because I have a similar, not quite as extreme. I, I you know, I'm uh, the I'm the other lot, the Protestant lot. So I hope that's not going to be. I know that can be a problem can for be. you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was brought up in a fairly religious family. But like at about the age of eight, kind of turned against it. But it was, but it was always hanging. You know, it's a difficult thing to shake off. And even when I was doing religious comedy, in you know, in my twenties and thirties, I found that I, I, I found I was quite nervous still. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing it. Was it yeah. the same for you with doing Father? I mean, I'm not that. Yeah, I mean, Father Ted's well, a very loving portrait, yeah. I think. But it's but. Well, uh, you know, Catholic guilt, as they yeah. say, is a thing. And like, I was, I was pretty, you know, seriously. It was the time of the Exorcist and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, so it was pretty. I had um, a kind of crucifix in my bedroom behind my head, and I was kind of worried worried it might start moving around. Yeah. So I took it down, but no, I was quite—I was quite seriously disturbed by it. So I had to give it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. A, it's a weird. And, and how how do your have your family reacted to if they're st- if they're still living any of these? Well, they reacted to it by dying. dying. <laughs> Shame. Uh, my father was quite religious. My mother was 
for a woman of her age, uh, she wasn't that religious. Right. She, she, um, my father was very old. He was born in 1903. Yeah, very religious. That. Yeah, but my mother was she again like all her family kind of moved to England. She was a, a nurse during the Blitz in London. Yeah, and she she cared for the. She was in Hammersmith and she was in Epsom. And she cared for the Dunkirk survivors when wow. they Dunkirk. And then she in Epsom she was dealing with Blitz survivors. Okay. And her um, best friend was killed by a bomb in Hammersmith. Wow. So then she came back to Ireland. And yeah. That's she met my father. My father was quite old, and his mother was in the hospital that my mother was a nurse in. Okay. So she was looking after his mother, and then she ended up looking after him. Okay. So uh, yeah. So he was what he was sort of in his mid fifties when you she were born. He was fifty six, yeah. Yeah. And uh, my daughter, I've a daughter now, and she was uh, I was fifty when she was born. Right. So, so her that's... grandfather was born in nineteen hundred and three. So like a hundred years, over yeah. hundred years before she was born. That's kind of well, no, no, not quite. It not was quite. 90, 90, yeah, ninety seven. Oh, well, yeah, as good. Sorry, it's as, as good as, as, as near as damn it. It's incredible. I mean, I, I love things like that where the way history works like that, where there's, you know, technically still someone. So, until quite recently, there was still someone getting Civil War, American Civil War pension because they'd married some really yeah. old guy when but they if, were really you, young. And they'd, they'd get yeah, if you think of it, if you think of it, someone um, who is alive now, their lives would have overlapped with someone who was alive at the time of um, like Waterloo in 1815. Right. So if you're born in 1815 and you live to be 105, yeah, and then someone born 105 years ago is still alive. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Well, I love all that sort of stuff. But, uh, but yeah. So, well, let's talk. Um, it's kind of fascinating because you sort of fell into TV script writing almost by accident, almost like just going, "Oh, yeah, we'll no, give that I did a go. completely, yeah, and, completely, and, yeah." And you were very quickly established. I would say, you know, not. I mean, not like. I mean, you were successful pretty quickly as well. But you got. You came to London and you were straight away writing for Smith and Jones and staying in Griffiths Jones's house. Right, is that right? Yeah, we were, we were, where were we first? In Bounds Green. Okay. But the first, the first, maybe the first day I was in London, um, we didn't have a television or anything, but I turned on the radio and I heard uh, On The Hour. Yeah. As a kind of, I didn't know what it was, so I thought maybe this is a real news program. <laughs> you were, you were credited at the end of it. I was, course. yeah. So um, that was, that was 1991. And I kind of remember we we had to, we were going to buy a television, and I, I I remember saying maybe we should get a black and white black and white television because <laughs> it might be a bit cheaper. It sounds like it was the nineteen fifties, <laughs> but it wasn't. It was the beginning of the modern era of of. Uh, well, it was weird. I was thinking about because like when we moved to London, we rent you you could still rent TVs. You know, there was a place called Radio Rentals, wasn't yes. there? But, but we yeah. rented a TV uh, yeah. for for all of our early. Uh, flats I think in fact when we moved I would have moved out of one place and they they didn't come and pick it up and I left it downstairs and they never came and picked it up and we were still being charged and the people just <laughs> kept the te- the people we left it with just kept the telly yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah it's kind of crazy to think that that's like that feels like something from a, the Victorian time yeah, apart from it being does, a television yeah. it feels like but you're right we did end up uh, we sent a few sketches into Smith and Jones and then we got a call from Jim Pullen who was the script editor and then we went in to meet Mel and Griff, and uh, I remember they had this, the, this was in Talkback in the Rosses and Percy Street, which yeah. you know. And uh, Mel and Mel was there, and Griff was there, and they 
someone brought coffee in and I'd never seen this like this poor naive young lad from Ireland actually it wasn't that young but the coffee you know that you have to press the thing yeah. down I didn't know you had to press it down so I started pouring it before that <laughs> what they must have thought but anyway yes we did Griff had the loads of houses in London right. or well as he as he got you know richer and yeah. more successful he had houses so he had one house in, Kil- in Kilburn of all places that we ended up living in and I remember uh, once there, Graham had loads of books, he had millions of books in the bookcases, and we were watching television once. The whole, the whole they all collapsed. The bookcases oh like a God. bomb going off. And we had to tell Griff because he was, he's the landlord, and he was he was a bit annoyed because he said, oh, "Well, I put those shelves up." <laughs> <laughs> could have killed you. He could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You. But Griff was great. I'm very fond of Griff, and he was he was really very good. To us. We never knew Mel quite as well, but right. Griff was really good to us. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that's that sort of. It sounds like you know, it just sounds so unlike. Loads of people start in such an unlikely way and get and get going so quickly, and then to sort of turn up in London and within a few months be living in the house that yeah. is owned by one of the blokes from Not the Nine O'clock News. It made, was it easier yeah. to get into TV in those days? I mean, it probably, perhaps it perhaps it was. I don't um, know. I mean, we just all we did was write. I think the first thing we did was write something for a Lenny Henry radio show, right? A sketch for that, yeah. But we just sent scripts into um, Smith and Jones, and they, I mean, I don't know how long later, but so yeah, come in and meet Mel and Griff, yeah. And then we did a few things in the series they did in '91, um, yeah. and then we were in talk back, and that was that was when um, on um, the day to day was being made. So Coogan was around and Armando Vanucci was around. And then Jeffrey Perkins, because uh, we did, we were writing Father Ted as well, and we sent that in, and that was Jeffrey Perkins in Hattrick. Hmm. And then Hattrick's, or Jeffrey Perkins said, Charlie um, and Paul are starting up a show called The Fast Show. So do you want to meet them? So we remember meeting them. But The Fast Show was sold to us as a, it was like Ronan Martin's laughing. Yeah. And it was really... That kind of thing, and it turned out a bit different. From yeah, that. It did, I guess. Yeah. But that was great. I mean, I mean, as you know, because you were around very much part of that early nineties, mid nineties thing was just it was a wonderful. It was a great time. Yeah, there was a lot of great stuff going on. It has to be said. I was interested to see. I think I heard in another podcast you were talking about that you wrote the uh, the Amish Bill Grundy sketch. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. In the, that's the, the probably the standout sketch in Kevin Oldham's excellent series uh, that, that he did a few years yeah. ago. Uh, but but you've, been trying to, you've been trying to push that yeah. for years. And I, years. Tr- I tried to push it on to. Uh, it, well, it was originally written for Big Train, but there wasn't right. a third series of Big Train. So I remember who did I give it to? Um, Paul and Harry, Harry, Harry and Paul. And yeah. I said to Paul White, as Paul said, "Oh yeah." I really like this, but I don't think Harry Harry will do it. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's fair enough. But that was such a great. That's all that is is an idea. That's all it is. Yeah. Just recreate the Bill Grundy Sex Pistols interview with they're all just dressed as Amish people. Yeah. That's all it was. That's you know you don't have to write anything. Sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it literally, was just a recreation, wasn't it? So you didn't. It wasn't even. Let's rewrite yeah. it with Amish words. No, that's just, all. Absolutely. It was just a line. It was a line on the page. That's yeah. all it was. Uh, yeah, great, great sketch. But it's sort of interesting to think that you that that's the way it can go. That you can keep presenting the same sketch to different shows. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Finally, yeah. But, but, makes it. but that, the, but that's because I had 
unswerving belief in the sketch. <laughs> but I think it was. I think Kevin Eldon was the right person to. I mean, that's very much yeah. his wheelhouse. As yeah, well, yeah, Bill yeah. Grundy, the Sex Pistols. But I think it was. It was so good. It was such a. It was such. I a could probably thing. still give it to give it to someone else because enough could. time. Enough time has passed. <laughs> well, it's but, but, go on. I heard that, that some who was it? Uh, Johnny Spate or some scriptwriter? Yeah, who actually did that? He wrote one one script for one show, and then he had to write an extra script for another show. And he just gave them the same script that had been done already for another show. <laughs> I definitely feel. I mean, there's been jokes that I've recycled a lot, and and bits that I've recycled a lot throughout. When you've been working for thirty years, but absolutely, especially if the thing isn't very successful, you know, there's no one's going to know about a sketch you did in, you know, yeah. six pairs pairs of pants or one of those kind of '90s sketch shows that had a brilliant cast but didn't quite make it. If you could, uh, you know, you could definitely reintroduce stuff. But yeah, it's it's a it's a funny. I've, there's definitely sitcom ideas that I've probably given in three times over the over the thirty yeah. years. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they've all, it's failed at every, probably got a little further each time before, but I've been paid for it three times. So I think that, good, that's almost good. like doing a, a series. That's how to play the system. <laughs> Just keep on going. There you go. Uh, I, I, I do a lot of writing for things. Uh, Here's the thing, though. You must always remember to change the title of it. Yes. <laughs> well, I suppose. That's a little tip. <laughs> I'm very good at going in. I get, I get, but they think, oh, Richard, Henry, you'll write stuff. I'll go in. They'll pay me to do something, and they go, yeah, no, this you, you can't write for this. I seem to have made. You're no good at this. Out you go. But I seem to have got enough reputation. I was on spitting. I had a conversation with the spitting image. I was commissioned for five minutes of spitting image, and then I sent some stuff in the new version. I uh, sent some stuff in, and they didn't seem very excited about it. So, and they and I had loads of ideas. And they didn't say anything. So I thought, oh, they don't really like it. Then they called me up to say, said, you're meant to do five minutes. You've only done three and a half minutes. Do you want to write another one and a half minutes or do you want to get paid for only three and a half minutes? And I said, honestly, you don't have to pay me. But <laughs> <laughs> it obviously didn't. It obviously wasn't what you were looking for. But uh, yeah, like I think again and again, I keep on <laughs> taking on these jobs. And and uh, yeah, yeah reputation's a good thing, right, Arthur? You can just you know, as long as the reputation doesn't become he's the bloke who comes gets paid and doesn't do a freaking job. <laughs> yeah, that's not <laughs> that's a bad just, reputation. Just about. Well, I like doing my own thing. I mean, you you must be the same as well. Now it's sort of be a weird, it's a weird thing to. I only did I only did the spitting image thing because I had an idea for something that they didn't like about Prince Andrew that they didn't want to do, and they said, "Oh, we'll write something else." And I I'd, I'd only really wanted to write the Prince Andrew thing, and I like the idea of being connected in both you know I, I did a few sketches for the original spitting image and it'd been nice to be in the, in the yeah movie. absolutely yeah yeah but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah I'm, i wasn't that excited that i was going to spend is it the, it's a completely new team i presume working on i think it movie. is i'll be it'd been I, you know i think i might have been possibly the the only link i think maybe oh, yeah, i think yeah, maybe yeah. Stephen allen might have been involved in it some at some point so i think they might have had a few people few people across but yeah it wasn't uh, it wasn't it was very much a last minute thing but uh, yes anyway anyway let's move on from that um uh so uh let's talk but let's talk about your book and let's get let's make sure we do that because i don't want to forget this oh no look it's it's uh, it's great it's, it's a shiny it's, cover it's it's through, see-through like my book see-through against this uh against the uh background as well uh the cummings files which could be a very different book if it didn't have a picture of dominic cummings on the front um but it's a diary of uh 
I ha- like it, even within the diary, Dominic Cummings writes that uh, you know someone's bound to write a diary of me about my year's spoof diary. Can I sue them for that? How can they get away with it? He so you write him asking that. How do you get away with writing? I mean, it does have your name there at the side, but it's quite hard to see. How do you get away with writing something that, although it's clearly a spoof, is, you know, easy to read as... Uh, uh, but I mean, because it's so fictionalised within... Yeah, no, it's... it's um, well, I mean, it wasn't my idea. I was approached by uh, Louisa Joyner. We did, uh, we did a Toast London book right. that I did with Matt Berry. So we did, I did a book uh, with her, Toast London book. And she asked me in January, do you want to do a Dominic Cummings book, like a spoof diary or something? This was January. Right. So I said, it probably, probably isn't enough to work on. But then, I don't know if you remember, <laughs> in March, something happened. Yeah, can't remember. We sped up north <laughs> and uh, went to Castle Barnard. And uh, so I said, yeah, well, I could probably do something. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that's what it is. It's a spoof diary and um, spoof, like his blog, his blog thing. But it's actually quite, you know, it's it's rather silly. It's very it's a, silly. It's a it's a lot of fun. There's a you know I, I thought oh what's this going to be like? But it's you've put in some you know you've put in a lot of thought. It's very inventive. Uh, you know you've created. I haven't put I haven't put a lot of thought. Well, no, but you've created a character for him, which I, which I like because it's not uh, it's not the obvious way to go. He's sort of obsessed with Bismarck, isn't he? And yeah, well, that the real coming to someone I didn't. I, yeah, no, that is real. Yeah, okay. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't do. I, the research I did was kind of read his Wikipedia entry. That was okay. it, really. And so, yes, he, he's very interested in Bismarck, and I read his blog a few times. Yeah. Well, you know, it's there's no way this this Dominic Cummings is any any way like the real one. <laughs> but how I don't know you... what he's like. I don't know what he's like. He's. No. I mean, I get the impression he's quite enigmatic. Well, it's interesting. Um, I, don't know, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what he's like. You're quite sympathetic. I mean, I feel you feel sort of sympathy with for him within the book. So you've made him quite sympathetic, but also said you know made outrageous claims within. How what do you know what the legal situation with that of writing a diary just because it's a spoof you're you're allowed no, think, to do it? Yeah, I, yeah. No, I think if you have your if my name is on it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously not by him. It and it's it's by it's him. very it's very silly. You <laughs> it know. Is silly. Um, lot there's lots of drawings. I did loads of drawings in it. Oh, of course, you're really... a fantastic artist. Yeah, yes. They Thank are. you very much. They are. Yeah, it's it's really it's you know it's a it's a fun book you can dip in and out of, but you can also read it as a book. So if it, it's it's it works both ways, I think. But there's uh there's there's lots of funny stuff. Um, oh, there was something I was going to pick out, but I can't remember what it was, and my, I haven't got my glasses on now. But uh, Dominic Rabath is trying to change COVID nineteen to COVID nineteen, so it sounds like Hovis. So it's a bit yeah. nicer. Uh, yeah, you know, and the problem is, is it hard to is it hard to satirise something like this when they're all so fucking terrible and ridiculous and you know they just it, I know this is a question satirists gets asked all the time, but when when the situations are well, so ridiculous, yeah, I know, yeah, it's but I've, I've enjoyed um, Saturday Night Lives. Um, Trump and Biden stuff. Have yeah. you seen that? Yeah, yeah, we watched that. Yeah, and. Um, like Jim Carrey does very good Biden actually. Yeah. So it's still I don't know it's 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 easy, it's probably easy but it's not as um but but they are kind of grotesque characters anyway. Yeah. But no, it's easy it's easy to satirize them because to satirize them because they're quite cartoonish. Yeah. So it's not it's not hard. No. You know? No. Okay. I mean, people always said that they that David Cameron was very hard to 
like to do an impression of really. yeah. whereas yeah. Boris is Boris is a dream for any impressionist Trump is a dream for any impressionist yeah true so it's it's not hard you know but, but they did, are very cartoonish themselves you know, but how did he how's he managed to get it's it's kind of incredible the sticking power and the staying power and um you know that how far will that go with Trump but they just the refusal to budge and his uh, like his whole thing when you know the the Barnard Castle thing. The excuse just sort of fell apart as he was even saying it. You know the eye test, and so I put my family in the car to see if I was safe to drive my family on a motorway by driving thirty miles on country lanes whilst I thought I was blind. You know, no one goes. Well, I mean, I think maybe they did, but you know that's worse than what you're being accused of. Yeah. And yet he still, you know, is Teflon and can't and and can't be got rid of. You know, so it's. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any strong feelings about Cummings, really. Um, I really don't. I mean, you know, people go apoplectic at his name, like Trump and Boris, I suppose. Yeah, I, I don't really have any strong feelings about them. No. But the most interesting thing is how it, it, his mere name drives people crazy. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I think. If someone who who was driven crazy by him wrote this book, it would be a different thing. I think that it's a very enjoyable read. Right, affectionate. Well, it's affectionate, but also it's just you know it's silly. I think someone who had an axe to grind would. Yeah, would my write... favorite, my favorite part in it is his Russian diaries. Yes, that's great. Um, that's my favorite, and that's got nothing to do with any kind of yeah anything you could say that that's satirical about Cummings at all. No, it's just the kind of stream of consciousness. Good. Well, it's it, it's well worth a read. Do, do get us up. What a lovely Christmas gift. I mean, it's not as good as The Problem With Men by Richard Herring, which is also available. <laughs> if you're going to buy one Christmas book, you can get this, you can get that inside it. You got the cover. What's I, that? I have, that was the thing I've signed. I haven't got one here. I'm not going to leave it. I've just took it away. I usually have one here to flash, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know what it's like, kids. It's a, it just says The Problem With Men. I've got my name on it. It'll be fine. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Um, let's talk about, unless, I mean, we're jumping around, but I want to talk about uh, Toast of London. And I want to talk mainly uh, about uh, Clem Fandango, which is what I think when I saw you at the airport was all I talked to you about was Clem Fandango. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love Clem Fandango. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think the whole I, I I I came to it quite late. Toast of London, and then watched the whole thing basically in one lump, and um, 
very it's extremely good but that good, con- yeah. the Clem and uh, Matt is uh, is uh, awesome uh, but yeah. Cle- the ca- how did you because the Clem Fandango character I mean you wrote it with um, t- together didn't Matcha, you yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. was that his idea or was well, that your idea? Because it's a very active... I don't know, but Matt, Matt will do lots of voice... Matt right. Barry will do lots of voiceovers, obviously, so yeah. he'll be familiar with all these kind of very cool people sure. behind the glass. But, of course, the thing is, you know, they pay us so... I don't. Have you done voiceover? You must. Have I, you no, not really. No, I. You know, I've only just started doing little ads in my podcast. Now is the only thing I do. Yeah. We were always kind of against doing ads before. So yeah. I never did them. But they, they, as you know, they pay vast amounts of money to to to, to do for you to do voiceovers. Yeah. But they have to get the money's worth. So I think there's one bit of toast where he just has to say yes, just the word yes. Yeah. But because you know, in real life, you'd be paid a thousand pounds for doing that. They have to keep. <laughs> <laughs> getting to do variations of it so they're getting their money's worth yeah so you can imagine all these people and execs behind the screen just desperately trying to to get you to yeah. do as many variations as it's possible it's all that turning so, off the floor it's just very well it's very very acutely observed of that kind of person the ideas he's coming in with but also the t- the chatting away with the with the talk back off <laughs> and coming coming back yeah he's very and, and i i think i said this when i saw you but he that actor occasionally crops up in other yeah. stuff. And he then is I a could, serious actor. But, you know, it's very, hard to, it's very hard to take him seriously when you see him in anything else. He's Here's very... the thing. I, he's, yeah, they're great. Both of them are great as well. Danny, Danny Bear is the other one. They're both great. But, like, I, when I see Hugh Laurie in anything, I just can't take him seriously because he's so funny. <laughs> yeah. He looks amazing. And yeah. he's so... Like, he was, I was a huge fan of Hugh Laurie when, back in Fry Laurie days. Sure. I just cannot take him seriously in any in any drama, and he's he's one of these people who, as he gets older, gets more a bit strange looking. And just have you noticed? <laughs> well, he I'm a huge fan of Hugh Laurie. Yeah. I think he I think he's a loss to comedy, and a, you know I, it's a shame he went into drama really because uh, well, not for him, not for him. He did pretty well, million dollars, a hundred million dollars, but um. I think Hugh Laurie is brilliant. He's just one of the funniest people. And it's strange that he's now in, like, he's in that David Hare thing. All right. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. I don't know. He's just, he's brilliant, but he's a loss to comedy. That's what I think. Well, there we go. Unless we haven't really talked, let's talk a bit about Father Ted. The thing about, they just showed a clip of Father Ted when I was on Sunday brunch, uh, just as a yeah. little. And and the weird thing about Father Ted, I've seen them all, and I've seen them all much more than once, but I guess because time's passed and my brain's falling apart. And there's so much of it, really. There's, what, 30 or so episodes, something like 28? 25. Okay. Including uh, the Christmas special. So okay. it's a, it's but, a neat uh, I'd forgotten. There were, I'd completely forgotten the one with the... They showed the one with the milk float, the sort of speed oh, yeah. parody with the milk float, which is just yeah. such a classic. <laughs> there's like yeah. there's so many classic bits in Father Ted that you can forget bits of Father Ted and go, oh, my God. The bit where he's moving the cardboard boxes out of the way of the milk float so he doesn't mm. slow it down. Um, <laughs> do you remember the genesis of that that episode? Was it just literally? I was watching Speed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that must have been it. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. People remember because brilliantly in Ireland they've just released a, a bunch of Father Ted stamps. Did you know that? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, uh, absolutely brilliant. Which, which is such, I really feel it's just the nicest thing that's happened. That, that there would be, the Irish post office would release loads of 
and they've got all the slogans on the stamps, like sure. you know, like um, the money was just resting in my account. Yeah. It's not photographs of the actors; it's just slogans from the show. Okay. And it's, it's the weirdest thing. And it, did it's great. Ireland didn't take it to heart straight away? Is that is that right? Or well, I don't think anyone did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Was a no, I don't think it got great reviews or anything right. initially. But there was a Ben Thompson, who was a journalist with uh, the Independent on Sunday. Yep. He rang us up and said, I really like this. Let's kind of interview you. So that was the first hint. Okay. That um, some priests reviewed it in Ireland, I think, for some of the newspapers. I think one of them said, You know, I wasn't at all offended by this. I just didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> But it must have been quite, even in the 90s, that must have been quite a big thing. And I mean, the world's moved on so much. Uh, Places like Ireland and Scotland uh, have moved forwards and places like England have moved themselves backwards for 40 years. But, you know, it it feels like it was quite a bold thing, even though it's a very affectionate pastiche of of, uh, Catholicism. It's not hard-hitting satire at all. It isn't, but, you know, it's it's great because it's so silly. and, and, And I think... It it was at a time when comedy was going in a different direction as well. I think I think like when we did um, Time Gentleman Please, which was the Al Murray sitcom. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. really, we you know we felt then this is two thousand two the year two thousand. We felt oh yeah. god, I'm fed up of all this you know documentary style serious no jokes kind of comedy. It was before The Office even, so you know it, it'd be nice to get back to like a traditional yeah, audience sure, sitcom. Yeah. You know, it, it already yeah. felt that that things are. T- turned the other way at that time and you were sort of obviously fighting against that as well and just saying let's it was done in that old-fashioned way in front of it yeah audience. yeah i mean we we um it was and alan partridge, partridge was out at the same time the sitcom yeah. and in fact armando uh he was shooting partridge after father ted so he came to one of the father ted recordings and was asking us because you know he's very thorough and he was asking us all these questions about sitcoms, which I thought, wow, it's amazing. I'm on the asking me about comedy. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so, but Partridge was done as well as, you know, in the studio as well. And, but they had the funny thing with that the audience couldn't actually see the set because it was kind of closed off or something. Right. One wall. It was very odd. But yeah, so um, that was what we did when 94 was the first, 95 was, was when right. we did it. So it was kind of, um, they did become those audience sitcoms became kind of the critics didn't like them and just silly um, well, and the, off- the office changed a lot yeah yeah but I think even before the office because I think there was no the, the silliness just jokes became like a, a bad <laughs> bad thing it was all about you know personal characteristics and looks and someone being offensive and everyone looking more shocked than they would actually look because the thing with that's the one thing with the office I felt, I love the office but the I office fe- is great yeah yeah but I felt the one thing I felt about it is when David Brent's dancing around or do whatever he's doing everyone would be actually pissing themselves they, they wouldn't be sit they wouldn't be aghast going they'd be going yeah. fucking hell this is yeah. or, you know hey we've got a chance to laugh because he's he's dancing yeah. <laughs> be, yeah. but, you know it was all about that kind of offense and stuff and i it was there was it was it's a charming sitcom but i think the thing with father ted is it's as a result it's sort of ageless isn't it there wasn't there isn't much in there to kind of tie it to its yeah maybe it's time so i suppose the fact it was set in ireland not even ireland some imaginary island off ireland probably helps that as well but yeah no i still in fact um 
Yeah, no, but the stamps, that's a reason, like 25 years. Yeah. So to be honoured, that was, it was amazing. Yeah. A set of stamps. Have you had a set of stamps? Are you don't gonna, think, I don't think there's any stamps? this morning, Richard, not Judy stamps. <laughs> that is any, there will be my venture. Of well, a commemorative medal. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing. When, I don't, I've never been, we've had awards or anything. Commemorated. I would. I wouldn't. I'd just. I'd. I'd like someone to just give me some stamps that I can use to post. Yeah. Stuff. Or maybe make a, a state funeral. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. Um, <laughs> but of course, you're in I Man and Partridge as well, so you did some acting. Mm-hmm. You did, you've done occasional well, bits of very acting. Very little. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I was wearing a luxuriant wig in that. But um, <laughs> a few a few years later, uh, I was walking down the streets in Dublin, a street in Dublin, and this guard van, a police van pulls up with two young policemen in it and one says, come here, come here, come here. <laughs> so I walked over and, and he just said, aha! <laughs> I said, I've always wanted to say that to you and drove off. Absolutely berserk. Think he thinking? thought you were Steve Coogan. He could have maybe thought you were Steve Coogan. Well, yes. <laughs> was that a fun fun time for you acting in that, or was that? Uh, was well, I did very, I did very little acting in that, really, very little. Well, I was I was in Father Ted a few times, of course, yeah. But you know, Pauline McLean used to tell me quite rightly, you know, you're taking the part away from a, a real actor. Yes, as long as she was absolutely right about that. Um, no, I I was um, I never. Yeah, I was never seriously going to go on the uh, Palladium. And do you prefer that? Do you think? Do you think it's sort of uh, because I'm sort of halfway between in the. I mean, yeah, I like the I like writing and I like the I like sort of being a bit anonymous, but obviously I also like performing and going. Yeah, sure, yeah, hundreds of people. So I can see both things. But do you like? Do you think that suits you personally to be? Sort of out of the limelight, or do do you sometimes look at the people you're writing for and think, why have they got all this? Stuff going I quite, on. Right? I would. I would very <laughs> much like to have been uh, in the Beatles. Yes, <laughs> but <laughs> I just, I just wasn't in the right place at the right time for that. No, I watch. I, I have you read Craig Brown's book about the Beatles? No, wanted to. It's really good. There's loads of anecdotes about right. about the Beatles. Like Ringo in 1961 decided he'd just go off. He'd go and emigrate to America. So I think he even lined up a job there or something. And then he, he realised he got loads of forms he had to fill in. So I couldn't be, I couldn't be bothered signing doing all this. So he didn't bother filling in the forms and then ends up in the Beatles. Yeah. Well, so um, if you'd stuck but, with the Joshua Trio, you never know. You never know where you'd be now. That's the that's the yeah. book that should be written. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do you like you too have you ever come i don't really like you too. i don't i'm not i'm not see i'm a quite rare a lot of comedians want to be rock stars but i was always just interested in comedy and i yeah, wasn't, yeah, yeah. i wasn't that interested in music really i was so and i don't yeah like, yeah yeah i don't really so you're like still like really interested in, are not you still really in I'm, I'm more yeah. i'm more than i was but i sort of like punk punk rock but only because my friend yeah i liked anything with I like clever lyrics, so you know I like the, everything. I have a very eclectic musical taste, but I think basically it comes down to me liking the words more than the music. So I like uh, anyone. Really? Who, yeah. Because I never, I never listened. I, I listen to lots of music. I never listen to the words. In fact, you know Desmond Decker, the Israelites. You yes, know that song. I do. I've heard that about maybe a million times in my life, and I always think the first line is "Wake up every morning at the same thing for breakfast." <laughs> but it's not that because I looked it up. 
And it's not that old. <laughs> well, I can't. I still don't. I can't even remember what the no. real lyrics are. Well, some songs like, um, matter. Some some songs about the feelings, but I think you know. I do like. I like. Uh, yeah, there's. Yeah, I don't know what it is about music. That I, I think I, I think I objected to um, the way it uh, people were defined by what music they liked. And I think as a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think as a kid, that's the first time it, you know. But but I'm happy when it's comedy. But I think as a kid, it's the first time people define themselves. And you think, but I'm not allowed to like that person because they like Phil Collins and we yeah, like yeah, the Sex yeah. Pistols, so we're not allowed to be friends. And it sort of felt like uh, weird and artificial. And I felt also that a lot of people. Which I think is true of a lot of things that people like. That there's people who lead and there's people who follow, and a lot of people don't actually care that much. So, like, I was a punk yeah. rocker, but I yeah. absolutely didn't give a flying fuck about. Yeah. I was a good punk rocker because I didn't give a fuck about. But I am. Um, I was just the right age for punk rock. Yeah. I'm a bit older than you. So in, like in Dublin, in September, October 1978, all the punk bands came to Dublin. Like I saw, the Stranglers, the Jam, the Clash, um. Uh, who else? The Ramones wow, okay. and <laughs> and Buzzcocks within one and a half months. Amazing. The end of nineteen seventy eight. Cool. Like Paul Weller, uh, they came in from the back towards the stage, and he passed just by me, and I saw like it was a bit two feet away from Paul Weller's hair. Yeah, which is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. <laughs> it was just amazing. It was just. Just the best. Yeah. We used to joke about Bruce Foxton's hair for some reason. That was uh, We had a running joke about Bruce Foxton's hair. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't remember what it wasn't. He used, to, it was he used to leap around. He used to leap around a lot. He did, yeah. The uh, Rick Buckler, the drummer's yeah. brother, was our art teacher. So really? When, yeah. So when Rick Buckler was in, he went on to be in a band called Time UK because there was an, an American band called Time. So it's called Time UK. And they played the Kings of Wessex. And I remember being there, but I then read my diaries and I was too scared to go because I thought I'd get beaten up, so I didn't go. So, um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's like, it's a weird thing. That, but I was quite into the jam. Well, um, the jam had a... I did like the jam. I saw a Style Council documentary recently uh, and the jam documentary. They were both on Sky Arts. Yeah. But Rick Buckler, they were, I mean, I saw, I saw the jam and I quite liked the jam. But they were, they were a three-piece powerhouse, really basic... But Rick Buckler had a massive drum kit. It was like one of the biggest drum kits. So you had like just three of them. But he had this massive drum kit. And you couldn't see him behind the huge tom toms. So the jam kind of isn't a very good name for a, for a band, is it? The jam. It's a bad. It's a bad name for a mm. for a band. The Beatles is a really, really bad. If the Beatles hadn't done well, that would be yeah, such a name. bad name. But but they obviously outlived their name. Yeah. That's what happened with them. Like that was a great name for 1961-62. But you know, they just outlived their name completely. To the point where no one gets the you know no one even realizes it's a pun. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, so you say yeah. you, you, you people live their whole life and you go, you know, but the Beatles is a pun <laughs> on beat. It's, it's great. You know it's, it's a the great, fucking worst name ever. Yeah, it's it's a great name for a band that's doing Please Please Me, but yeah. not a great name for a band that's doing Revolution Number Nine. Or a band that's going to last more than six months. It's, yeah. Do you know, it's, do you know <laughs> it's actually a brilliant name for a Beatles tribute band. It is. If the Beatles had spelled B-E-E-T-L-E-S, the tribute band called yeah. the, Be- the Beatles would be right. But it's a great name. Calling yourself the Beatles with a double E is a bad name as well. The Jam is like some some jam. Some jam. Best name for a tribute band I've ever seen was me and Graham were looking through Time Out once and we saw a tribute band called the Below Average White Band. 
which is oh, pretty man. good. That's all, but that's that's the level of touring I'm at, or certainly was at when I was touring. That <clears throat> the the theatres I was in would have just had a tribute band <laughs> of some kind in there. So I, I was at the same level as you know, a, not even the Rolling Stones kind of tribute bands, but you know, there's so many tribute bands. It's, yeah. it's an incredible. And then it just you must get especially when someone dies and you get to the point where you're much too old to play the person. Yeah, playing. yeah. I had a, I knew a journalist in opera and he, he interviewed uh, Rod Stewart once. Right. And Ireland's Ireland's uh, Rod Stewart tribute act. Um, I can't remember his name. Gary something. He just died on stage. He, he was doing his Rod tribute and he just keeled over. Oh and the journalist said this to Rod and he said, you know, he, he was on stage and he was doing hot legs and he just died. And Rod says, always takes it out of you, that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man alive. Rod's very funny. Rod is, uh, I like Rod a lot. He's great. Not the story about his Christmas gift to Elton John. No, oh, go on. Because they used to exchange Christmas gifts every year. And Rod, said, one year he said, well, Elton's going on tour next year. I'll tell you what I'll get him. I'll get him a little portable fridge so he can put all his champagne in it. Okay. So he gave that to Elton as a Christmas present. And in return, Elton gave Rod an original Rembrandt. <laughs> <laughs> I like Rod. That's great. <laughs> So let me talk a little bit. We'll go back to messing around in a sec. I'll, let me just talk a little bit more. I'm quite interested in Paris, which I, the, you wrote for Alexis Sale. So this was before yeah, Father yeah. Ted, right? It was, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, But it wasn't. I remember watching it, but I think I only watched the first episode. Yeah, yeah. But sure. why Why do you think it, that one didn't work and Father Ted did work? Because oh, Alexis Sale is so yeah, amazing. Great. Oh, Alexis was really good to us and we wrote. A lot of the sketch shows, and the well. sketch show is, for, I think, actually yeah, one of yeah. the most underrated. In the, it was one of the best sketch shows, I think. Even out of all the yeah, ones you yeah, wrote yeah. for, I think it was a terrific sketch. Yeah, show. yeah, we wrote, we wrote quite a lot for that. And he used yeah. to come round to to Kilburn to visit us and stuff. Right, and that that um, that was ninety four that we did Paris, and that had lots of the day to day people in it. Right. Rebecca Front was in it, Marble was in it, right, um, Schneider was in it. You know all these okay. people. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, who knows. If you could bottle the formula of success, uh, maybe I, it's my fault. It's probably it probably fault, is your fault. You probably messed it up. Um, I had a part to play in its in its lack of success. <laughs> and Father Ted was going to finish anyway. I know, obviously, Dermot dying made that definite, but um, yeah. uh, but it was that was going to finish anyway. I, I had a weird thing when I when I heard uh, Dermot Morgan had died. Uh, we had literally just come off stage off the first series of This Morning, Richard Not Judy, which was recorded on a Sunday afternoon. And we mm. came off and I was, and we were in the BBC bar. We'd done, we'd done that series in the BBC and we were celebrating the BBC bar. And I heard my manager, John Thoday, say somebody Morgan had died. And I thought Piers Morgan had died. Mm. And that is the biggest gap between hearing one person's died and then finding out who has died in terms yeah. of Piers Morgan dying and Dermot Morgan dying. There's yeah, a yeah, different. Yeah. It's a very different reaction to that thing, and that's my. So I, I was. It hurt me even more because it wasn't I, Piers I'd, Morgan. I'd set myself up for. Oh, okay. Piers Morgan's died, and then it was the worst possible thing. I mean, it must have been a, a lot worse for you. I know you're a, a big hero of yours. Um, yeah, I knew Derm. I knew Derm in Ireland before. Obviously, yeah. I knew him before Father Ted, and he, he was quite successful in Ireland. 
he'd done a radio show which I wrote one sketch for. He was very well known in Ireland. Yeah. But he was very pleased to get the job in in England. Yeah. But yeah, but he he died obviously, and we that was we recorded the final show on Friday. He died on Saturday night, and then we had to go in on Monday to rec- to edit the show from Friday. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was yeah yeah it was odd. And he was, I mean, like, again, at the time, I was obviously in my mid-20s, so I thought, oh, you know, he was pretty, he was still quite old. He was yeah. 45 years old, so yeah. it was like an absolute disaster. <laughs> I mean, a, it's yeah. amazing you could still be 25 and have that little self-awareness about how close to 45 is to you. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I think his father died from a heart attack at exactly the same age right. as Dermot had. <clears throat> oh, Deary me. Um, but uh, there was talk of bringing Father Ted back as a, a musical, which obviously yeah. there's plenty of reasons that uh, isn't going to happen right now. But uh, is is that still on the cards? Because it seems like on it, the cards, yeah. It was because it was, it was well. written. Yeah, we had rehearsals. There was Neil Hannon. Yeah, uh, wrote loads of great songs for my friend Paul Woodfull. He wrote lots of good songs for um, Bush, as you know. Um, <laughs> it was the theatre had a little bit of a stumble yeah. earlier on this year, from which it hasn't quite hasn't quite recovered. Yeah. So it's on hold, but like lots of things are on hold. I don't I don't know what's going to happen with it. And how did you feel about bringing it back? Did it feel because obviously you brought it to an end as a TV series, and did it feel, you know, I mean, you must have worried about it looking like it was cashing in or looking like yeah. it was bringing something back. And obviously you've not got, I presume there's not the same cast <laughs> at no. all because most of them aren't with no. us anymore. But, um, well, it was good. Graham, you know, Graham Hattrick, the production company, had often mentioned it to us over the years to do a musical. But Graham was always against it. But then he, uh, he just got an idea that he could do it. Yeah. Uh, so he had an idea to base it around. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was his his idea, really, and I just kind of went along with it. But it's on it's on hold. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, I think mean, people will want to see it, and if the, the songs it, are really good, yeah, I mean, the songs you are know, good. The songs are really good. In fact, if it doesn't happen, you can still miss the soundtrack album of a show that never happened. <laughs> and be very, and do you think very everything? Good. Do you think theatre's going to be able to? come back from all of this no you know, generally no never <laughs> i mean it must no, be it's come... over that's, that's it it's gone <laughs> it it's must never coming have, back it started from nothing so we must be able to build it up from nothing again <laughs> it, it, reached reached always it, it would look it would have ended anyway more or less at the same time you know people were fed up with it you know there's no point to it that was it so yeah uh well you know i'm still i it's uh, this second lockdown. Are you in lockdown in Ireland, or is it? Uh, you're yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't really noticed much difference. I mean, I just didn't go out yeah. since March, anyway. So, no. uh, I, you know, quite seriously, hasn't I? You know, I just presumed this is going to be it now forever. So that's fine. You know, I'm not twenty years old. Well, that's um, it. I think for a middle-aged men who work from home anyway, it's maybe not the biggest disaster. No, it's not. It's it's kind be. of. In fact, I kind of see more people during lockdown than I did because my wife partner, she's at home now. My daughter was home from school, so I'd see more people, yes. you know, after that than I did before lockdown. So yeah, but no, it'll be it'll be with us forever. Let's face it; it's, there's no end in sight. Well, well, this meant to be a vaccine. No, okay, you're not, you're not confident about the vaccine. No, I, I maybe yes, I don't. 
I think, you know, I think it will. I, I still, I mean, all the time, I thought, you know, like I'm meant to be doing uh, every Sunday, a little thing pops up in my diary saying, well, let's for tomorrow because I was, you know, they booked in. They first of all booked something yes, yeah. in June. And I said, do you think that's going to be going to be over by June? And they said, well, you know, that's what it might be. And then yeah. October, November. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so, you yeah. know, it's just, it's, it's weird to think, uh, you know, it's going to be, Right, it's going to be at least a year, isn't it, basically? But it could be a couple of years. I don't think Edinburgh is going to be back next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, mean, for you, obviously, it's it's um, Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, it's for, for performers, it's terrible, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It, it is and it isn't. It's sort of... I mean, it is, but I think also it shows the importance. Because I was saying this to, in another podcast I was doing last night, but you, when you're in our job, you need to be able to diversify because... Yeah. What happens if you break your leg or, you know, or get seriously ill or some way or just are in hospital for a bit? You need to be able to do something to keep yourself going. So you mm. need to be able to diversify. And I hope it will, um, you know, I hope people have managed to do that. But I, I think hopefully mm. it'll, put, it'll make sure people think, well, I must, you know, let's move online. Let's move some stuff online. Let's move some yeah. stuff here. Because yeah. there are. But there I, mean, are... I, I did, I did um, that Cummings book came across. That wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened except for the lockdown. Of course, yeah, yeah. And also, I did a clip show uh, for the BBC because they couldn't send film crews out. So I, Matt Berry and I did this clip show yeah. just using archive stuff. Sure. So that was another thing that wouldn't have happened unless yeah. lockdown. Well, there's lot. I wouldn't have been. I'm a ventriloquist now. I wouldn't have been doing ventriloquism if it wasn't for <laughs> lockdown. So you know, it's not all good. Uh, <laughs> but that's, did you find it hard writing during lockdown, or were you did, no. did you find it? Because I was really. I found it my brain was really sludgy but mm. i was looking after two very young kids yeah 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 with no help yeah. from schools and all that sort well of i did i was quite disturbed at the beginning um because it could have been the end of the world it could have been like you know an alien invasion yeah no one quite knew and like i i wasn't worried about my own health but you know i'm in contact with people who would be you know um vulnerable but it just kind of that you know i was quite you know um I remember doing a Zoom call with relations in America and being quite panicky after and having to drink <laughs> not half a bottle of whiskey, but, you know, a glass of whiskey. So, yeah, but I, I just, once I started working again, I kind of, it was okay. okay. But a, friend of, a friend of mine's gone the opposite way. He's now, he's got a studio in his garden. He's more or less living there. Yeah. He's more or less lived, moved out from his house and is living in the, in the studio in his garden. Okay. So, but I just kind of got used to it. I mean, I remember... Oh my God, um, Primo Levi's, you know, if this is a man about his experience in Auschwitz. Yes. Someone there was asked, uh, how, my God, how did you just get on in Auschwitz? And he just said, well, I kind of got used to it. So, you know, yeah. if you can get used to Auschwitz, probably. <laughs> well, that's the benchmark, isn't it? You know, we've been very, I think the, the truth is we've been very fortunate in our lives to live in a period of time where there hasn't been, yes. you know, that sort I mean, anything like that sort of disruption, but even not to be in the middle of any war, yeah, bombs know. blowing up around us. Yeah, yet, I know. You know yeah, it's yeah. still time, still time. But, yeah. you know, we've, we've had that. And it, so a year... Do you, often, do you often wonder about what you'd be like in war and oh, if, you'd been, if you'd been called up? I, you know, I, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine, uh, you know, that I could do anything. But, like uh, World War One, like yeah. going over the top on that. Yeah, I don't. I, you know, I don't know. Would you be? But I don't think I could do it, do it. I don't think I would be able to do it. But maybe you just do it if you have to do it. But it, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or is what's that just a different 
generation of different expectations or different. You know, I mean, it definitely was. I mean, they definitely. I mean, I think they uh, thought they were doing something right. You know, I mean, the, the tragedy about World War One is it's sort of not really about anything. <laughs> So they were all, they were all convinced that they were fighting for the right thing, you know. Like England were fighting. I was just reading Al Murray's book, who really kind of put it together. But basically, England are fighting because they made a treaty with Belgium in 1851, yeah. saying they'd protect mm-hmm. them, and have gone, oh, okay. And so they're able to go, yeah, yeah we're doing this for fighting this thing. But you know, it's, it was such a such an insane. I mean, not that any war is particularly sane, but it was such a you know. I mean, that's that's what I think. I don't think I could overcome that and become the kind of person to go, I'm fighting for something good. Maybe if you're, you know, maybe if you're fight, literally fighting the Nazis, you could say, look, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. doing something. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but most of them. And would you have um, your grandfather, grandparents, would they have been in, in the my, World War II? My granddad, I think were, they, my granddads are probably both, one might have been too, a little bit too old and one was too young. His bro, his, my mum's dad's, a couple of his brothers, I think, died. Certainly one of his a brother called Ernie. My son's called Ernie. And his brother called Ernie died in uh, in Dunkirk, actually. So Really? Yeah. And this was this was who this was who Richard? My grand what? my mum's dad's brother. So my, my mum's uncle. Your grand uncle. Um, yeah, yeah, my grand uncle. Wow. He died at Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. So uh so there was a bit you know, there was a bit there, but I think my granddad was just that little bit too young to go out that first time. Maybe I was mm. wrong or maybe Because my quite, mother yeah, because my mother did I say that earlier? Yeah, yeah, you said you said your mum. Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if he, I don't think he made it. I think that we managed to. Someone emailed me with some information about him, and I sent it on to my mum, and I can't quite remember what it was, but I think they, someone had discovered how he died, but it was in France. It was sort of. Can't quite remember what happened now. That's bad that I can't yeah. remember, but it was. It wasn't that long ago that I got that that email. But yeah, he's he. So someone had managed to work out who he was and track him down, and the, the family had never quite known what had happened to him other than he just you know had gone yeah 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 because i in the first world war i had i think my uncle was in the raf i think not sure and then my grand grand uncle and great grand uncle they were in world war one right but one of them was um a chaplain with the forces so we have a letter from him you know back the classic world war one letter yeah about mass you know horrible post-battle scenes and giving you know the last yeah. rights to the dying and all that yeah so let's have that at home yeah it's uh yeah so i think that we've assessed that covid isn't as bad as that or indeed any <laughs> you know like what if it was the black death you know that's that's the i remember going to like a plague museum in somewhere like florence or somewhere like that uh, where they went back and told you all about the Black Death and how it killed everyone and how horrible it was. And you go, oh, you know, well, that would never happen now. But, you know, it's only one notch away from from that yeah. being being that. And this is bad. I'm not saying this isn't bad. But, you know, we ha- we're not just yeah. chucking people into carts and <laughs> putting yeah. them in a big pit. Quite yet. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how things go. Um, see the next. See how Christmas. Yeah, turns see, out. see how twenty. I think twenty twenty one is going to be a great. <laughs> I do say this thing in every year, and every year just gets worse and worse. But uh, that's part of the day. I'll ask you a couple of emergency questions before we go because I'm interested to see what I get out of you. Um, uh, if you could have uh, one item from any art gallery or museum, if they all the art galleries and museums in the world said. We love you. We think Father Ted's great. We love Toast of London. You're allowed to take one item from any of our museums and it's yours. Which piece of art or artefact would you like to own? Um, well, actually, I do. I, I, I'm, 
I do a bit of painting, and I was um, doing a course in the RHA, which is the Royal Hibernian Academy, which is the, like the equivalent of the Royal Academy in London. I was doing a course um, uh, earlier in the year, and there were some brilliant tutors, and there was a painter called Colin Martin who did a wonderful painting of uh, the interior of a space station. But I won't have that. I'll have the Mona Lisa instead. <laughs> Because I could probably, you know, what would you get for the Mona Lisa on eBay? At I least, mean, at least a thousand pounds. Yeah, eBay might not be the way to go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know, some things are so. I wonder what you would get. There must be works of art that are too priceless to sell. I wonder what you would actually get for the Mona Lisa if you did try to auction the Mona Lisa. Someone would buy it, but yeah. I mean, Do you watch Fake of Fake or Fortune? Have you ever seen that? No, with no. Fiona Bruce. And uh, Philip Mould, right? Where it's a great idea. It's just members of the public think they have a, a painting that might be worth something. Right. It might be by Matisse or Henry Moore or someone, or sculpted by Henry Moore or whoever, Lucian Freud. Sure. And they bring it to Fiona and Philip, who's an art expert, and they just try and analyze if it's by the uh, the artist that the okay, people that think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, no, it's very good. Yeah, there was one. Someone had had a painting by Churchill, and he was trying to work out. It was supposed to be by Churchill, right? And uh, it was paint, a painting in, that he done in France. Churchill done in France in nineteen forty-five. Wow. Okay. So they, but unfortunately, I mean, all the evidence seemed to point to the fact Churchill had painted because people actually had seen him painting it there. <laughs> and yet the, the Churchill expert said, no, I don't think it's by Churchill. So he didn't get the 200,000 oh. that it was worth. Oh. Anyway, it's pretty good. Fake or fortune. Okay. There any, ever have any of Hitler stuff on it? I was just, just Churchill. Um, I suppose they wouldn't be allowed because of political correctness gone mad. They'd be allowed to have I, I, I think stuff. Hitler's stuff isn't that expensive. Right. I think I read somewhere. He wasn't that good. He was much better as a fascist dictator. He he, he found his media and got on with it. I think he'd be remembered more as a fascist dictator than (laughs) the way Jimmy Savile would be more remembered for his charity work. I guess. I guess that's true. Um, Let me ask you a random emergency question and then we'll we'll see. Whatever this is, you're going to answer it and we'll see what's going to go on. Um, No, I won't do that one because that's a different thing. is there a TV show theme tune that haunts you? Do you find haunts a haunting me. theme? Yeah, I I think that whenever I hear the theme to Taxi... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, very yeah. haunting, but also it takes me... It really takes me back, and it makes me feel sick, uh, because it it takes me back to being whatever I was when Taxi was on 12 years old or whatever, and it's yeah, so yeah, of yeah. its time. And yeah, I've sort of forgotten nearly everything in Taxi apart from the yeah, theme yeah, tune. Yeah, yeah. And it makes yeah. And that, it actually makes me feel slightly ill to... Here, okay. the theme tune to Taxi. Is there anything like that? Do you have anything like that? Where well, I've been watching... Uh, do you know Talking Pictures TV? Do you know that channel? Yeah. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> but they have um, just loads of programs. I remember when I was a kid, and there was one called Budgie. Do you remember Budgie with Alan, Alan, Alan Faith? Yes, yeah, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, well, they show that. That's And the theme tune to the first series of that <laughs> is just... Yeah, it's kind of, it is haunting and... Evocative, like yeah. that's 1971-72. It's, it's a strange thing when you're taken back like that, just snapped. Back, yeah, I think. but I've, I've I was been... terrified. Do you remember the singing ringing tree? 
Well, I don't. I do a joke about it in the, one of my podcasts, but I don't yeah. really remember. I don't really remember. I, it's a, yeah. it's oh, a I, I was terrified point. by that. Yeah. In fact, I didn't even watch it because I was so terrified. But okay. yeah, there's a lot but, of things um, like that are terrifying. I found this week as we're recording, it's the 50th anniversary of the goodies starting, but it's also oh, yeah. the, it's the 30th anniversary of Harry Enfield's television program beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, that seems impossible to me, right? That that yeah. that's it seems possible to me the goodies is fifty years old, but it seems impossible to me that the Yes, I know. Is thirty yeah. years old. It seems impossible. I, I totally I totally agree. I think it's it's just about believable. Nineteen seventy is fifty years ago, but yeah. thirty years ago since nineteen ninety <laughs> seems incredible. But I always think Harry Enfield's T V show is the kind of the beginning of the golden age. Yeah. Of British comedy that you know you were obviously involved in as well, and uh, it was just a great the nineties. You know what a time it was. But you know, there's still great. Well, do you think I've 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 seen I've heard you being a bit dismissive about modern comedy in other in other podcasts. But is is there stuff really? you, is there stuff you like now? Um, Not my dismissive. Favorite thing, but... uh, my favorite thing is probably um, a podcast that Dan Skinner and Harry Peacock do called. Um, uh, Brian and oh god, what's it called? George and Brian or something okay, else. It's Brian and something. It's really good. Okay. Well, I haven't I haven't remembered the names. That's not very good. <laughs> well, we got the names of the people in. I'll look it yeah, up. Yeah, it's Harry it's... Harry Peacock and Dan yeah. Skinner. It's really good. Yeah. Roger and Brian. Roger, Roger and, Brian. and Brian. Okay, cool. Really good. It's well, a divorced middle-aged couple who just it's all done in phone. Great. Well, I hope more messages. people will do that. I mean, again, that's what I think. This could be this little pause in comedy. Could be very fecund, I think, in terms of um, realizing that there's, you know, there's more to the internet than two yeah, yeah, yeah. two old yeah. men talking to each other about the 1990s. There's, <laughs> but there's more you can do. It's nice to have, but there's more. There's more that you I always can say do. I don't believe in looking forward. I believe in looking back. <laughs> it's lovely to look back, but I think you know, I think that's it. There's, there's this opportunity to create stuff and more than and podcasts can be, and and online stuff can be more than conversations though the conversations are lovely and i do uh love many of the podcasts that are like that but it's i'm, I'm surprised more people haven't gone hey we can do sketch shows and sitcoms and you know i think pe- i think people are catching on to that now so yeah yeah yeah. so sure. hopefully that's you know that's a way of and getting back i think to the the spirit of father ted it feels very much as well like someone at channel four went Oh yeah, go on, have a go and see what you know. And they well, left, that, that they left was what film. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was she- Seamus Cassidy, yeah. who was head of comedy there, and we just done Paris for Channel Four, and that hadn't been a success, and yeah. he still let us go ahead and, and not interfering and not really interfering no, with the process. No, no, that... it was it was like um, football manager. Once you appoint the football manager, yeah. the board should stay out of it <laughs> and just let. The... Now there is. Um, there's a lot more interference yeah. uh, these days from execs and that kind of thing. Yeah, so you know, I think that that's what appeals to me about the internet is the, the yeah, lack yeah, of yeah, that. yeah, sure. And uh, you know, and and as it gets bigger, then I think you know there will be money there to make stuff. So mm. we will see. So maybe there'll be there'll be some positive things for the comedy industry and the theatre industry from lockdown, um, but it's not looking good at the moment. And on that <laughs> bombshell, um, look, it's really love to talk to you. Really love to see you again. And uh, thank you very much. Do go out and buy the book. We may be giving some copies away. So check out the uh, intro for that. Uh, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, massive round of applause. The fantastic Arthur Matthews. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, we're back next week uh, with 
the guy off of Ghosts. I've forgotten what his name is. He's the husband in... in uh, I don't think I can, can, I've worked out how to pronounce his name. Let's say it's that, but he's really good. All right, see you... What a disaster. See you next week. Oh, goodbye. Chris, turn us off. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Arthur Matthews. The music is by Pest, of course, you know that. I'm indebted to my friend, the producer, director, and all-round good guy, Chris Evans. Not that one. Um, also to everyone at gofasterstripe.com. That's Chris Evans again. Uh, everyone at Acast and everyone at the British Comedy Guide. Um... Everyone at uh, Sphere who published my book, The Problem with Men. Why not buy that? It's lovely. It's fantastic. Uh, thank you very much also to Ben Walker, my usual producer, who hasn't had to do anything except uh, put the ads together for me for the for this uh, audio version. So thank you for that, Ben. Um, this is a Skype Potato Files and GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to GoFasterStripe.com slash badges to become a monthly badger. Chance to win loads of prizes, lots of cool stuff. You can be a cool kid and you get badges, you get a membership card, you get extra videos, you get secret emails, you get to watch my stand-up shows. They're all in there, my fan friends, so go to GoFasterStripe.com slash badges right about now. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Thanks for listening. Go to GoFasterStripe.com for all your download needs. Thank you to Chris Evans, as always. Not that one, uh, for the spectacular work he does on all of these podcasts. Uh, RichardHerring.com for all your gigs needs as well. Thanks for listening. Listen to another one. Go on, I dare you.